Podcast of Power, a She-Ra and the Princess of Power companion podcast. I am one of your hosts, Nero. And I'm the other host, Jane. And together, we are embarking on a journey to, as the name suggests, rewatch all of She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. Because we believe that it is a, a pretty good show. Pretty good, yeah. I would say if we had to come up with a with an adjective, pretty good is uh, is pretty good. One might even say that it is one of the best, if not the best, animated show of the 2010s. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. It's uh, you know, I'm not gonna say it's flawless, but it's, it's uh, it's definitely the tightest show I've seen in a very long time. The, the character work, the, the, the writing, the, the theming, it's all almost pitch perfect. Just like everyone's favorite movie, Pitch Perfect. I love Pitch Perfect, the cup song. That's all I know uh, about Pitch Perfect, and that the third one is a big piece of like Air Force propaganda, but that's all I know. Is it? Oh my god. You can't get into that, that's for another podcast. No, this podcast is exclusively about She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, which is a 2018 Netflix original animated show uh, produced by DreamWorks and created by Noelle Stevenson. Do you have any familiarity with her previous work? Because I don't. Uh, yeah, I do, actually. Um, I have a copy of seminal comic work about the uh shape-shifting girl and the villain who uh kind of takes her in and they uh have a fun sort of wild villain adventure it sounds fun so that's someone that's not lumberjanes i would assume no it's not lumberjanes i've been meaning to winoa that's what it is or uh namona i'm so bad remembering names and things um but uh, yeah, I mean, check out Lumberjanes. Her work is really uh, interesting. I think a lot of the ways that she tackles characterization and design are both really uh, cool to watch um, unfold. There's always like kind of a like critical path to the way that she kind of takes things where the characters kind of have like this very long journey of self-discovery before they reach a point where they can start really both becoming uh, better people, but also uh, better at doing the thing that they're trying to do, uh, whether that be saving the world or doing something else. Well, it sounds like uh, this show was kind of perfect for her then. Uh, yeah, it uh, it really is quite up her alley. So what is She-Ra? Who can say? Perhaps even we don't An existential question. Well, one of the reasons we're here to do this podcast, I think, is to sort of pick apart, pick at pick the show, and, and see why this reboot, out of all of the reboots that have been plaguing the airwaves for the past few years, why is this one, like, the only one that has worked? And I think the answer is fairly clear, uh, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, it said it's gay. This is the this is the really critical thing. Yeah, the uh, yeah the the very critical thing about Shira and the Princesses of Power is that it's not made by straight people, which is an important uh, factor to have in any piece of media, in my opinion. Yeah, really critical stuff. It's the it's the secret sauce, really. Indeed, it is. So, how this podcast is going to work is that we will be going episode by episode, sometimes one episode 
per pod, sometimes uh, maybe even two or three, depending on how light or heavy those episodes are in content. Uh, but most of these episodes, uh, most of the episodes of this show are fairly dense with stuff to talk about, I think. Even episodes that would nominally be just fun, fluffy filler adventures still advance characters or plot or introduce new things about the setting, uh, which is something that I find very, very nice, especially in a show that is this sort of uh, short it's, it's uh, I believe it's only 50 episodes compared to a lot of other animated shows that get a lot more. Uh, yeah, actually, I think that's that's part of um, the show's real strength, I think, is uh, how tight it ends up being. Like, um, a 50-episode run for, like, a four-season show is... Um, it's, it's atypical for how much they actually managed to fit into it. Like, you could very easily have stretched this out to, like, a seven-season show without really even trying. But uh, they definitely used quite a lot of restraint there, and they, like, very specifically made sure that everything was in service of something. Like, there wasn't really any moments that I can recall that felt like they weren't specifically there to achieve, a like, some kind of concrete goal. Whether that be for like characterization or just setting up a plot point, yeah, it's it's all very much tight. Like we said, tight. There's no holes in any other animated show like this. You're gonna find holes. You're gonna find these, these pitfalls. But in this show, there are even like I don't know if there are any of them really. If there are, they're very minor, and I can't think of any off the top of my head. No, I can't either. Uh, we might get to some later, but uh, I, I would I would imagine they're all pretty pretty minor i think there are some episodes of this show that aren't like stellar by the show's standards but are still fun in the in to watch but anyway so the way this show is yeah so we're gonna we're gonna go episode by episode we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna first recap and discuss the episode in a way that is not spoilerific. we're not gonna talk about what what's happening in the next episode, the one after that, or in season three or four, or wherever we are. We're just going to stick to the concepts and characters and plot points that are introduced thus far in that episode that we are talking about. And then at the end of the show, we will transition into the spoiler zone, where we will discuss the full ramifications of what happened in that episode, and that, I think, is really where you'll see how tightly written and well planned out this show really is oh yeah there's uh there's quite a lot of uh material to talk about with that uh with that in mind even from episode one there are so many thematic elements visually dialogue wise there are characterizations that are already so strong there are plot points that are already seated just from like the first episode that will reach far beyond into like the the in, into the finale even. Yeah, there's like there's there's quite a lot of like um really good setup actually. There's um this show does a really phenomenal job at setup and payoff. It um nothing necessarily feels contrived, but it also like it's all foreshadowed in a really careful way that still gives you a bit of surprise for it. But like, if you know what you're looking for, you can see it coming a mile away. Yeah, I would not say that the, sh- the strength of this show... Th- lately, I think, there has been a big emphasis in media on a show's unpredictability, which is not necessarily a good thing. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, definitely a lot of like... 
emphasis on like making sure that there's like this really big twist or you have this really big like moment that the um you know the writers have planned like years ahead of time usually they're like ah yeah the whole show is basically in service of this reveal um shira doesn't do that which is great um and surprising considering how many giant reveals it actually does have yeah, I was about to say, there are a lot of reveals and twists in the show as it goes along. A quite quite a large amount, actually. But none of them feel like the writers uh, like pulled it out of nowhere or uh, felt like they, were, they just made it up or that this has all just been in service of this one big twist. No, everything feels like it is in its proper place. Everything feels like it is like the perfect time for that twist to activate. Yeah, for sure. Like it, it, it all kind of, like it always sort of coalesces exactly the way that it should. Like, um, even there's there's certain twists in the show that that definitely could very easily go in a direction that would suck. Um, but they it, they always manage to take the correct path. Like even at, at the last possible second, it ends up taking the correct path, and that makes it actually more. It makes it more enjoyable in a way for me, I think. Just this idea of, like, it's it, it comes really close to hitting... It's riding the razor's edge. Yeah, it rides the razor's edge uh, quite a lot. Um, and it always pays off, which is really nice. Yeah, I mean, we, we've talked uh, in, our, in our previous rewatches, but the, one of the things that makes this show so good is that it knows exactly when to exercise the right amount of restraint when it comes to certain tropes and archetypes. They know what works yeah. about those things, and they know what doesn't, and they know exactly what to do and how to, how to roll these things out. Exactly, exactly. It's, uh, it's, it's always good... Uh, when when you see a, a showrunner exercise restraint, because that's uh, uh, that's a quality that's uh, kind of lacking in most showrunners. Yeah, you, you you will find that most of them uh, do not know how to do that at all, uh, especially within some of Shira's own contemporaries. Which yes. we won't. We'll try not to talk too much about them, but comparisons will come up. Yeah, it's it's kind of inevitable, but uh, you know, we'll try and keep that to a minimum. So, I think we're done with the preamble. We should just jump right into the this two-parter. This two-parter uh series premiere, The Sword. Yes. So, I think immediately the thing that jumps out about uh The Sword upon this this per- this first pan to the fright zone is the the visual style of this show is gorgeous yeah for sure like it's it really comes right out the gate with its best foot forward like they do this really interesting kind of parallax when they're doing the shot uh coming into the fright zone there's a lot of like um foreground elements that kind of like come whooshing past you to give this kind of 3d effect and you have the uh the 3d uh skiff that's kind of going around um which is interesting i always like when they manage to blend uh 3d and 2d together in that way where it's like it just it fits really well it doesn't ever stand out in a way that is jarring yeah everything meshes correctly um which is so rare for a show like this to really get where where to put 
3D and 2D together in a way that isn't visually jarring. And so yeah. after this after this pan in, we pan past rolling fields and into this uh, technological hellscape called the Fright Zone, where we see uh, our, one of our leads. We're introduced to one of our leads, Adora, getting ready for some training. Um, and ultimate and, and immediately, what you can tell about Adora is that she's a real big dork. Oh yeah, like the biggest dweeb imaginable. She's an extremely dweebish uh, jock. Um, very, Which is very... such a such a good combo, by the way. It's Just fantastic. Like nerd jock, really, really uh, knocking that one out of the park. I wouldn't even say that she's like a nerd because she's kind of she is kind of dumb about a lot of stuff no she's just like she's just an awkward jock it's like a different flavor yeah she's just like she just she just doesn't know anything that's the that's the thing she's a jock but she just doesn't know anything so adora gets summoned for some training um by the the sergeant who i I love this this blue guy's design because he looks so bad right like it's it's such a like all of the the like uh character design i feel like is really strong like they they uh it never feels like it's falling back on like any like weird like fantasy tropes like it always feels like it's doing an interesting take yeah like i don't even know what fantasy creature this guy is supposed to be analogous to just like a weird spiky blue guy Kind of like a frog man a little bit. A little, like, but he doesn't have, like, the, the jowls or anything. His face is really small, actually. Yeah, true. But yeah, so the the, uh, the sergeant here is is, prepar- is preparing them for their training. They're going to do a little training exercise in the Whispering Woods The uh, to fight some princesses, evil rebellion combatants and insurgents. Um, but, of course, Catra is not there. Where's Catra? We don't know. She's late, like always. So like always, they always, go in, always goofing off that Catra. Always goofing off, not a, not an ounce of ambition in that lady. Um, so they they go into this like cool AR training dome thing, and I think I love the like the superimpositions of the evil princesses onto these little drone bots a lot. Yeah, it was. I thought that was really strong, like um, visually, but also just like from like a narrative perspective, it just works really well to like kind of show like the theme of the horde kind of putting up this incredibly thin facade of justification when really like the horde itself is actually the problem like it's you can still see the horde bots really well and easily through the sort of augmented reality projection of the princess um and i think that like you know it ties into the themes really well right yeah they're they're not hiding it at all they're like only doing the bare minimum to quote-unquote hide it at all which which ties in la- uh, uh, quite well uh, later in the episode, but yeah. So the things are going poorly uh, in this training. Everyone's getting knocked around. They're fighting the big bot. Adora is uh, is fighting it, and then finally we see uh, Katra make her first appearance. Our other lead for this show. Um, and what an appearance it is! She swoops in to take the credit, uh, and Adora falls into a big hole. And uh, Catra leans down to greet her with a "Hey, Adora." 
Uh, got, you gotta love that line. That's like, just, it's such a good line. And um, to speak a little bit about the voice acting in this show, I think it is like phenomenal. It's some of the best I've heard in any animated show at all. Like whoever was doing, like both the actors themselves and whoever was doing the direction are just firing on all cylinders at all times. Oh yeah, for sure. Like it's it's like it feels very natural. Like I never I never had a moment. So something that kind of comes across, I think, in some other animated shows, some other contemporaries of Shira, is there's these moments of inauthenticity of um. Like, you can tell this is, like, a person who sat down in a recording booth a little bit, especially during, like, some, like, musical numbers that um, some shows kind of put together. Um, but Shira doesn't really run into that same problem. I feel like most of the time, uh, really all the time, it f- is uh, the voice direction um, is pretty believable, especially Katra's in particular. She really hits... Um, hits the mark especially with the uh voice breaking uh pretty consistently yeah katra all right so yeah aj michalka i think her name is she is really one of like the big standouts of this uh show for sure she is like utterly fantastic uh yeah but like the 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 character banter is all very naturalistic and like the the comedic voice acting is also very good we'll see that later because a lot of shows will sort of kind of kind of go too hard on the comedic voice acting maybe like go too hard on like louder is funnier and i think the show does that a little bit sometimes but for the most part the the um the comedy in the show is is pretty good and then of course um the, the emotional scenes in the show land really, really, really well all the time, basically. Oh, yeah. Like, um, I would say probably the strongest suit. Like, the comedy the comedy acting is really, really good. Um, the couple of times they do actually do, like, a musical number, like, the singing is great. Um, but it's, the, it's really the drama and the character performances that really take it to the next level. They, like, they just do a phenomenal job of getting, like really genuine deep like emotional like depth to what they're saying and like obviously i think adora and catcher are probably the strongest in that regard but like there's there's other characters definitely coming up in this episode that uh um also get a pretty good uh treatment in that department yeah, I think I think the voice acting in the show is really layered. There's a lot of emotions at play in a lot of these heavy scenes that you can um, you can really feel, and that does set it apart from a lot of its contemporaries. But we haven't really gotten to any of those quite yet. Um, so after the after the training exercise is done, Catra and Adora are kind of kind of goofing around, palling around. Obviously, they're they're very close friends. You know, very just very good friends. Um, yeah, just very, very, very good friends. Very, very, very good friends. Uh, and then that's when Shadow Weaver appears to uh, summon Adora for something. Now, this character, what a design, first of all. Yeah, the design's really good. Um, definitely, like... I mean, if you had to look at if you had to look at Shadow Weaver and, and tell me what this character's name is, you're probably going to pick the word Shadow, like... 
Yeah, the 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 big flowing like black mane of hair, the like the 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 mask with the the ruby in the center of the of the forehead. It's all fantastic. Yeah, like it's it's she she wears it on her sleeve a little bit there. Um but that's that's a good thing, I think. Like it's a very it's a very good design. Um and we see that um, both Catra and Adora are, are familiar with Shadow Weaver, but while she dotes on Adora, she seems not to have uh, that that sort of fondness for Catra. No, not a very high opinion of uh, of Catra in Shadow Weaver's uh, department. What does she call her like? She says something just that's just real mean. Uh, which she can say about basically all of Shadow Weaver's lines. Um, yeah. She says something just real mean. Yeah, it's uh, it's about 80% of her voice lines is just her being very mean. She can't really turn it off. <laughs> it's kind no, of she's... kind of her uh, her general air of things. She, um, I think what you might be looking for is she says the line, um, don't get flippant with me, cadet. Like, and she, yeah, she gets and then, like, very the, the angry. scary... Yeah, the big scary shadow thing. Yes. And so Shadow Weaver takes Adora out into the hallway to talk about something. But before we get to that scene, we cut to the rebel stronghold of Bright Moon, where Queen Angela summons Glimmer to talk about some uh, miscalculated military actions. As well. Yes, Commander Glimmer is uh, has got quite a lot to answer for, apparently. She's grounded. She is grounded. It's this this scene. I I love this scene in particular. It's such a good reveal. Like it's it's another one of those moments that like you could really easily like flop um, and make it like, you know, kind of almost insufferable, really, with this like mom daughter oh. dynamic. But like they pull it off really well. Like it's the it, the dynamic between Angela and Glimmer is so like well-meaning mom to teen chafing under protection right like it's perfect it's like glimmer is very much the like very sheltered teenager like she she desperately wants to get out and see the world but like her mom really is not into that and you know there's a lot of good reasons for that but like the tension there is uh it's it's really good like it's it's set up well and their interactions are just absolutely hilarious so yeah so uh shadow weaver uh tells adora that hordak has picked her as one of the prime candidates for a new force captain and adora is like oh oh man i i can't wait this is what i've been working for my whole life uh, we learn that Shadow Weaver says Shadow Weaver says she raised Adora for this, so obviously some kind of maternal figure here. Oh yeah, um, she's uh, she and she also specifically like mentions that she was orphaned and that um, you know she she found her and took her under her wing, you know, raising right. her to uh, to uh, become like this really important horde soldier that's going to essentially single-handedly take out uh the rebellion in fact um specifically in this scene is shadow weaver essentially telling her yeah you're gonna be working alone from now on um which is all these all these other dudes they're slowing you down drop yeah don't worry about it you're you're too good for them and you know i think that 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 plays on 
it kind of introduces a lot of themes um, both between her and Shadow Weaver and just for Shadow Weaver in general, what her like character motivations are and how she kind of views the other people in her life. I'm sure they're all very healthy relationships. Oh, for sure. So, uh, this is when we cut outside to uh, Adora looking at her new Force Captain badge. And then Catra, like... Kind of snatches it. on her. And it's like, oh, what's this? Uh, and, they, and they chat about it for a little bit. Um, Catra seems very impressed at first. But upon hearing the news that, like, Shadow Weaver doesn't want her alongside Adora, her and the, or the rest of the unit, she gets a little bit more despondent. Yeah, like, uh, quite jealous, actually. Is, uh, very jealous. One thing to point out. Is that she is purring during this scene? Yes, there there is a bit where where she um she gets very excited and she extremely wants to get out there and start blowing stuff up and the the face and the purring is excellent, really top notch. Like uh, there's quite a lot of good faces in this show, but uh, but that one that one's up there, probably top ten. I always love it when they make they give Catra a lot of very cat-like tendencies. They do. Like it isn't it isn't just for show. She like she purrs, she hisses, she hates water, all of this sort of things. You um kind of all the things we uh, know and love about cats. Yeah, all the things you know about a cat, Catra is that. Um but yeah, so Catra is very jealous and, and sort of uh, angrily climbs up this like uh, siding of wall to this to her perch and Adora follows and kind of the, the per Catra's perch is now let's let's talk about Catra's perch what a good what a good set the outcropping of this metal thing uh set against this big red moon in the background with the skyline of the fright zone pumping all of these like fumes and smokestacks into the into the atmosphere is so fantastic yeah it's it's moody and it's dark and it is just really it it plays super heavily into Catra's motifs um as a character both like her color motifs and like her design motifs there's a lot of a lot of red a lot of very large superimposed objects in the background kind of looming over her um even though she is um, as high as she can go. she's She has climbed to the highest point she is capable of making, and yet she is still being overshadowed by so many things in her environment. It kind of all ties in to, uh, to a lot of uh, themes that we'll be seeing moving forward. Yeah. Um, just one, one thing about, the, about this character is don't get used to seeing her so happy all the time. Yeah. This is... Yeah. This, this, uh, this word part one is, uh, it's, uh, it's a, it's a taste of what's to come, but it's going to take a little while to get there. It's going to take a long while to get there. But, uh, Adora, of course, knows exactly what'll cheer Catra up in, in this time of, of, of her, uh, emotional turmoil. That's taking a fucking skiff out for a joyride. Which is so funny. It's like, yeah, of course Adora would do this. <laughs> and so they, they take that out and they're going into the Whispering Woods where uh, some some bad driving by Catra gets them separated. To, and Adora falls to the To be floor. fair. To be completely fair. 
Adora was like kind of trying to wrestle control away from her that whole time. I think Catra probably could have handled driving that thing if yeah. That's that's true. It's kind of both of their faults a little yeah. bit. Um so when she comes to she finds a sword sitting in the middle of the woods surrounded by vines. You know, normal. It's a cool sword. She thinks it's real cool. And she's not wrong. It's a pretty goes, cool sword. She, it looks pretty cool. She goes to touch the sword, and she gets visions of someone calling her name and saying that Etheria needs her. Uh, she's, of course, not entirely thrilled by that. That seems a weird, like a weird thing to do, uh, to have happen if you touch a sword in the middle of the woods. Yeah, thankfully... Uh... Not a problem anymore, because the sword's gone, and she is in a different location. <laughs> yeah, Catra finds her. Um, is like, kind of worried about Adora chattering about this sword that isn't anywhere around here. Because if Adora gets hurt, Shadow Weaver is going to kill oh, her. Oh, yeah, like... Would, uh, would not be a fun day in the Fright Zone, that's for sure. No. Uh, so they decide to, you know, go back home. But uh, Adora cannot stop thinking about this sword. So then elsewhere, we, we cut back to Bright Moon, and Glimmer is is doing some journaling. She knows she knows she knows about the therapeutic properties of, of doing journaling to work out some emotions that you can't you know you don't have really other other places to put out right. Yeah, it's it's really it's it's self care is the thing. And a mysterious figure is is approaching her window and then shoots an arrow through her window. Yes, very, very, Bo. very scary. Uh, but don't worry, it's it's our good friend Bo. Bo, her best friend in the whole wide world, Bo. Um, and she teleports him into into her room real quick because he's he's being real loud. He's doing a little who's on first, uh, bit with her for a bit. Um, and she's just she's just real down and frustrated over this whole thing because her mom stuck her out in some place place called Elberon, which is like in the back end of nowhere. No horde attacks would ever happen there, which is exactly why Angela put her there. But uh, then the horde actually did attack. Yeah, you know how that goes. Seems uh seems like uh not ideal, but you know. Glimmer got out of there okay. Obviously, uh, her and Angela don't see quite eye to eye on that one. But uh, Bo knows exactly what would cheer her up. He uh, he pulls out his little his little iPad, his little data pad, and he says he's found some first ones tech out in the Whispering Woods, some powerful stuff. Uh, and if they go and get that, then Angela would unground her for sure. Oh yeah, definitely. Because I mean. We've all been there, right? You get granted by your mom, and then you're like, okay, well, I'm going to sneak out with my best friend and go find uh, this really cool piece of technology, and she'll be really impressed by it and unground me. All right, before <laughs> that, of course, Angela comes to the door, because she's been hearing Glimmer talking to people. It's like, is anyone else in there? So she gets Bo out of there real quick, um, and has a quick argument with her mom, but... Uh, then she decides, you know what? Let's go. Let's find this. Let's find this. Tech. Yeah, it's uh, it's actually a pretty funny moment where she like she's she's very like hesitant to actually go, but the second, the like the millisecond that her mom is disapproving of it, of just even the general air of it, she immediately jumps to to uh, to go. She's like, yeah, let's go. Let's do this right now. 
Let's talk about let's talk about Bo for a bit because out of our, our our three main trio that we've established, he at first seems like he's maybe the the weaker one the uh, as a character. But don't let that. Oh yeah, you. Bo is very important. Bo is critically important. He is like he's kind of set up actually in a really interesting way. Like he gets set up um in his introduction as kind of the. I'm not going to say necessarily the comic relief, but like the most lighthearted of the main three. Um, yeah. And while that still holds he, he true, literally... like he's still, he's got more going on than just being the funny guy. Yeah, that's one thing I really like about this show is that there aren't really flat characters. There are characters that don't necessarily have as much depth as like our main three or catcher or shadow weaver but there are no characters who are simply there to fulfill one role for the most part yeah exactly even like to a point like the henchman style characters like actually have a bit of personality it's like it's pretty nice so uh yeah so we cut back to the fright zone everyone's it's sleepy time everyone's sleeping um, Adora and uh, sleeping, and and Katra is, is sleeping at the foot of her yeah, bed. Yeah, you know, hey, Very you cute. know, just best friend things. Sleeping at the uh, good best friend sleeping things. at the foot of uh, of your best friend's bed. It's uh, fellas, <laughs> fellas. Uh, Adora is keeps having these dreams where this weird lady is talking to her. Um. And she knows she has to go back out to that to the Whispering Woods and see what that sword is all about. Um, she tries to sneak out, but of course Catra wakes up and follows her. Um, Nadora says, "Listen, just cover for me. I'll be back before you know. Just, just don't worry about it. All right." And she heads on out. And so we uh, we head out to the Whispering Woods. Both both Bow and Glimmer and Adora are sort of making their way towards this clearing where the sword is, and they, and they find it at the same time. And then we get just an absolutely exquisite piece of animation where uh, Glimmer shouts uh, Horde Spy and then g- gives a nice uh, battle cry right before jumping into battle. And it's uh, really, really spot on there. Yeah, so they have a, they have a, they have a scuffle over the sword, um, all three of these folks. Uh, but when Adora touches it, uh, a big old flash of light happens and knocks them all on their uh, uh, on their bottoms here. Uh, and she uh, does she does she see another vision when she touches it? I think she does, right? Uh, she does. Yeah, it's um that's so like the first vision is kind of her like just getting a really quick set of glimpses. Um, and then the second is like she's standing in that hallway, um, speaking to this mysterious figure um for like a good like 45 seconds to a minute before uh she gets ejected back into the real world right uh and she has been uh restrained at this point correct? uh yes she has been tied up while she was uh having a fun conversation about destiny so yeah uh, glimmer and bow have tied her up and they're going to bring her back to bright moon for some answers um, but it seems like something might be, uh, oh wait, before, before the big spider comes out, there's an interesting conversation Glimmer and Adora have, where Adora doesn't 
she doesn't really know what the horde is up to. No, at all. not at all. She's completely, utterly like clueless. Thinks Hordak is here to bring order to this planet. It's all it's all it's all too chaotic. It just needs a little bit of it just needs a little bit of organization. Yeah, it needs order and it needs um it needs to be controlled. And once again, themes. We got them. We'll come back to those a little bit later, for sure. Hordak, don't worry. Hordak will be in this show. It just takes him a little bit to it show does. up. Um, but before they can get any deeper on this on this conflict, a big, scary spider thing pops out of the woods and starts uh, wrecking shop here. Yeah, just really making a mess of the place. Bull in a china shop situation, for sure. They're tossing the sword around. They're they're trying to... to it, it seems to be chasing the sword. Um, Adora gets a hold of it, and, and it draws its attention away from Bone Glimmer. And when the when the insect monster hits the sword, she gets a a much more substantial flash than usual, where this mysterious figure, who I believe I, does identify herself as Light Hope, correct? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she does actually do the name drop here. Um, she's she's Light Hope. Um, and this sword, this is, this is meant for Adora. This is meant for, this sword is Adora's sword. And we see a few visions pop up, uh, over the course of this flash. We see Bright Moon, we see something crashing, we see some kind of portal with a baby crying in the background. Nothing is important, it's all meaningless, don't worry. Yeah, don't, don't worry about it, it's completely completely incidental i'm sure none of it's going to come up again uh the important thing however is the uh the mysterious individual light hope asking her very specifically uh does she want to fight for the honor of gray skull and uh of course that's our she sees a vision of a of a golden warrior holding the sword aloft and so she does just that. She holds the sword aloft and says, For the honor of Grayskull. And, uh, well, now Shira is here. Our good friend Shira finally on the scene. And stops the spider, like, dead in its tracks. The spider just lays down and says, I'm not going to fight you today. So that is the end of the sword part one. So, sword part two opens uh actually does it have a cold open uh no sword part two actually gets the intro um so let's talk about the intro yes good because i think the intro i it's a i think it's a little bit divisive for people i think this show manages to avoid being too corny about 99 percent of the time it is very good at like we said very good at this balancing act very good at this razor's edge some people think the intro is too much. I think they're wrong. Yeah, I actually was one of those people for the vast majority of the time watching the show. I um, thought that it was just a little bit too hammy for me and a little too on the nose. And I wasn't really necessarily a giant fan of it. But um, particularly in like season five, um, I feel like I, I it, it grew on me a lot. Like I, I started really enjoying, um, enjoying the introduction and like 
it kind of it kind of it fits really well in the grand scheme of things it's just maybe it feels a little weaker at the start of the show where you don't really know any of the people who are in it um at the time right i think it's got a real good beat the lyrics yeah they're very they're very silly they're very sort of over the top but i think that fits a lot with this series is like sort of over overlying tone it's not necessarily always this like goofy or like high energy all the time but it it certainly hits that uh quite Mm -hmm. a bit um it it grew on me a lot i also did not like it when i first um watched the show but like it's a grower for sure yeah definitely it'll uh it'll warm its way into your heart and your and your ears before you know it yes and also one one more fun fact before we we leave this intro here um this is a, uh performed by Aaliyah Rose who was either a winner or at least he, she was at least a former contestant of The Voice Really that's actually very interesting So that is that is exactly one thing that I know that someone who was on The Voice did That's one the one thing that I know Well hey you know what if if that's where you end up after The Voice then uh, that's not too bad It's pretty good um so, we start with She-Ra standing in front of this bug thing, and let's let's talk about the She-Ra design because I think there's a lot to dig into. Oh here. yeah, it's it's a it's a really strong design actually. Like, it's really good. There were a lot of um, problems with the 1980s design. I think in a lot of ways, you you could say yeah, this. M- maybe say a, that it might have maybe problems. a couple, um, but. The uh, the new design really plays off of a lot of those motifs and elements in a way that um, kind of brings it into like the modern day. Um, and it, yeah, it has a very modern like the shorts and the like sneakers especially give it very like they aren't exactly sneakers but they are they're sneaker esque. Yeah, her boots kind of kind of a boot sneaker situation. Yeah, and the um. The shorts give the design a sort of a very athletic, but also sort of youthful and, and naive kind of vibe. Right? No, yeah, exactly. Like it, it, it does give off that vibe, and I also like. I think it makes a lot of sense just from a mechanical standpoint. Like you know, if if you're gonna be in a warrior situation and you want to wear like a like a sort of skirt you're you're gonna want to have like some nice uh shorts to go with it right yeah one thing that i really like so we should talk a little bit about some some of the adaptational choices for this reboot because one one thing about this show is that like the, the team behind it and especially noel stevenson love the original she-ra yeah like they they loved it growing up as a kid um as kids and like you can feel a lot of that in the, the the new designs. Like there are there are many many elements that are like very tastefully adapted. Um, one of my favorites, one of our favorites, probably is Adora's jacket. Yes, when she's so like the original the original Shi'ar design has this like oh man I don't even know how to really describe it. It just looks bad. It's like a weird red univest yeah it's it's not great and it's like it's very weirdly pointy and it's got kind of it's a kind of the 1980s businesswoman thing going on a little bit kind of a 
a little yeah. bit. Um, but this, the, the jacket, ha it still has these, like, pointy elements to it. Like, the shoulders are very pointy. It's got those, these, these gashes uh, along the arms that sort of show the undershirt a little bit. Yeah, the gashes um, are actually really they, interesting. I like that design element a lot. They're great. And, of course, you gotta get some belts on there. You got, like, two and a half belts. You gotta have the belts. On, along the, along the jacket. And it is, uh, it's like it's like open along the along the neckline to show off the white undershirt yet again. Like it's it's all very much like you can see the places where they took the original design of Shira and said, okay, what here works? What here works? Red over white, pointy pointiness, like all of this stuff. And then they said, well, what doesn't work? Uh, which is basically everything else. And so they just reworked it until they got there. And then the same thing with all the characters in the show, like Bo. Uh, Catra, Shadow Weaver, everyone has, you can see the connective tissue, you can see the, like, where, what elements they liked from the old show designs that they just sort of molded and modernized until they looked really, really good. Yeah, like, they, um, like, it's, it's interesting for you to, uh, to bring up specifically, like, the fact that they, they watched it as kids, because I think that, like, Something you'll see a lot of times with um, with uh, these sorts of modern adaptations is that um, the people who are making them aren't really, they either didn't grow up with it or just generally didn't hold a lot of like fondness for it. And you can kind of see where that comes out in the design. And I think that that um especially when you look at characters like Bo and Katra in particular because their designs are pretty rough in the uh in the original um classic, classic Bo is quite looks... a lot oh man that mustache the mustache is well it was the 80s everybody it's bad. but um it's no excuse no excuse for that mustache. Yeah, but like, it would have been really easy to basically just uh, take all of that and just throw it immediately in the garbage and just start completely from square one. And that maybe could have even worked. But like, I think that it's much stronger to kind of try to make it work. Try and take the bits that, that you enjoyed about it and, and bring it into uh, the modern day. Like, Bo especially for me, like, he had this very, like, heart motif going on. And um, a lot of people, I think, would be very, like, would definitely try and stay away from that, you know, as, like, uh, this is the one, essentially, like, the one guy character who's in the main cast. So I think a right. lot of people would be very afraid of, like, giving him, like, a more, like, feminine appearance in that way. Um, but Noel Stevenson and company, but the they show just... wasn't written by straight people. Yeah, that's once again very important note. Yeah, not written by straight people, not designed by straight people, and you can definitely nope. tell because um, they just said, "Listen, we're just we're just going for it," and they did, and it worked out really fantastically. Yeah, I can easily see someone else changing all of those heart motifs to like diamonds or or some other like cards. Yeah. Right? Let's make them diamonds. Those are red. Those are like we can just put a diamond on his chest. But no, he still he still very much has his heart motif. Yeah, and um, and it really ties into his character a lot. You know, like you know, he's the he's friendship, the friendship guy. guy. He wears his heart literally on his sleeve, like like quite oh, yeah. literally. And I think that that 
I think that had they decided to change that, it it just wouldn't have it wouldn't have tied together as well. So, back to the sword part two. Uh, everybody is freaking out about this. Adora, Glimmer, Bo, everyone is completely freaked out about the fact that Adora just turned into like an eight foot tall warrior queen. Yeah. Uh, for no apparent reason. You know, reason. as you do. Normal, Although Adora, normal Adora thinks that it's because being a princess is contagious. <laughs> which is which is such a good line. Um, but unfortunately, while they're having this little this little argument, this little freakout moment, the uh, the bug wakes back up and starts you know destroying stuff again. Glimmer doesn't want to give the sword back to Adora, so she can do her thing again. But Boa has no qualms about this. Mm. Bo is running the sword towards Adora here, but of course Adora doesn't know what to do with it. So the uh, the most logical course of action is to just run. Well, yeah, yeah, naturally it's. So they run, they run through the the forest, and they find a uh, ruin. They stumble upon a ruin. Yes, it's a a very a very interesting ruin. Very like technological looking ruin. A lot of like circuitry motifs and a lot of like you know it, it definitely doesn't look like anything else we've seen built so far. Not by not no. by the princesses nor by the horde. Um Yeah, we have seen a few principal locations so far. We've seen the horde. The horde is very much like Almost diesel punk. Yeah. Like they're all, all of their technology is very chunky. It's it's spewing smoke It's stacks. really, really, also, like, industrial. Yeah, heavy, heavy industrial. There's all sorts of, like, big glowy engine bits, all this sort of stuff. Bright Moon, like, it, it it's it's all very magical. Yeah. It, there's almost no sign of, like, technology. Yeah, it's there. almost like Elven. I, I would describe Bright Moon as pretty Elven, actually. Yeah, like it's all, it's all like sweeping golden towers. There's like a big, a big old tower with a big rune stone sitting all, all across from it. Like it's it's elven. Yeah, and then of um, course by contrast, then you have this this location, this mysterious crystalline building that just looks completely out of place. Like nothing is really similar. Nothing except the sword, sword. that they found. So, Bo and Glimmer cannot read the writing on the door, but uh, Dora can. She speaks the password that is printed on the door, which is Eternia, and they uh, gain entrance just in time to escape this big spider guy. Naturally, uh, Glimmer uh, immediately has kind of a excuse me moment, because this is a dead language that no one's supposed to be able to speak. Why can Adora the speak first it? first one's ruin. They have been... They disappeared. They were the, the the ancient settlers of Etheria who have vanished over a thousand years ago. No one knows what happened to them. No one has ever been able to speak their language. But Adora can just like read it off a door. Like it, it just says, you know, it's just written there in plain English. Yeah. So naturally, they've got a few questions. They're a little suspicious of it, and this doesn't really help Adora's case, considering Glimmer is already pretty on the fence about the whole trusting her thing. Yeah, she seems to. Bo is is already pretty personable with Adora because he's the he's the he's the friendship guy. He's 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 you know he's he's bantering her. He's like, hey, Adora is kind of a weird name for a horde horde mm. soldier. But Glimmer seems a lot more reticent for whatever reason, which we might learn more about. Yes, later. I'm sure it's not foreshadowing for anything. 
I'm sure there's no character work going on here at all. Um, just, you know. So, alright, so they're exploring this ruin, right? And I think next next we cut back to the Fright Zone, correct? Uh, yeah, I believe so. This is, uh, the next scene is when, um, that's, uh, Catra talking to Shadow Weaver, correct? Yeah, Shadow Weaver is, like, scrying on something, trying to find Adora. And Catra's in the background, and Shadow Weaver's like, where did she go? Um... And Catra, because she's a good friend, is covering for her. Like, hey, I don't know. Like, she didn't tell me where she was going. Shadow Weaver um, does not buy this. But, <laughs> and also she says, oh, I already knew where she was anyway. Um, uh, and Catra's like, well, why am I even here then? And Shadow Weaver tells her she's going to go find Adora and bring her back. Which Catra doesn't like the sound of. But Shadow Weaver uses some... Uh, Con- convincing techniques to yeah uh, get her out there, but which I mean, threaten her and also use some kind of weird paralysis. Yeah, some spell. sort of weird red electricity situation. Uh, and then we cut back to the ruins. So they're 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 exploring these ruins. They're trying to figure out like, well, wh- what is this place? Why does Adora know the writing? Um. And this is where Glimmer like does a big thing to light up the light up the hallway, right? Yeah, there uh, makes a big light. Yeah, bubble. big light bubble, and it seems to actually kind of tuck her out a little bit. Which yeah, she says. Uh, Bo says that she needs to recharge. So it seems like she her her fount of power is not limitless. She's not like she can't just cast forever. Yes, she's she's got a she's got to get a mana potion in her tail. She's got to go charge it with something, but um, what is revealed here is this big old like sweeping cathedral-looking place. There's big tunnels. There's lots of triangles. Yeah. The first ones, big fans of triangles. Big fans of triangles. Big fans of vaulted ceilings. Big fans of circuitry and crystals. That's uh, that's kind of their thing. Uh, and so they 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 go deeper into this ruin and they find a like the, a huge stained glass. Uh, window depicting Shira, um, which they know it's depicting that because there is it says so underneath the the window. Uh, and when the door reads it, it activates some kind of like AI hologram that has been slumbering here for thousands of years. Yeah, the problem though is the hologram seems to be having some issues. Uh, might need a might need to reboot that computer because. I mean, it's it's old, you know. Sometimes you just you find some some people who stumble into your ruin, and you just like activate a lockdown. But because everything is so old, the lockdown actually makes the whole thing start collapsing. Yeah, you know, it's like, listen. You got to get those firmware updates installed. It's like a thousand years out of date. Uh, but Glimmer, uh, Adora says, "You need to give me the sword. I uh, we need we need the big scary lady with the cape to fix this." The Glimmer does not want to do that. She instead uses like the last of her her energy to teleport all three of them out of out of this ruin. Uh, but uh, tuckers herself out, and they're plummeting through the air. Uh, yeah, not a uh, fun not Bo a fun place to uh, to find yourself in. Uh, you know, being teleported about 70, 80 feet up. Um, but yes, luckily Bo is there, and Bo. Um, not just the regular arrows guy. He's got some trick arrows up his sleeve, including a big net. 
He's like he's he's, he's got the the cool arrows. As any self-respecting archer character should have trick arrows. Oh, naturally. Um. And so they they are saved. So the, the next thing that happens is uh they are like they ask Adora why she's still here. Right? Yeah, like uh, Glimmer points out like pretty bluntly that you know they aren't exactly a uh, crack. Uh, crack team of operatives here like she had the yeah, ability to leave at any time and uh she hasn't for some reason the the things glimmer told her about the horde have really started to sort of wheedle in these seeds of doubt and th- that between that and all this she-ra stuff it's like well what what if if i go back to the horde if i go back to the fright zone they're never gonna i'm never gonna learn what the hell is going on here yeah Almost so, certainly they'd put a pretty tight leash on the girl um, uh, as soon as she got back. Yeah, for sure. So they decide to stick together and head over to a, a nearby village uh, called Thaymore, which isn't revealed until later. But if we remember earlier in, in the sword part one, Shadowweaver says that Adora has been selected for the, the raid on the uh, rebel fortress of Thaymore. Yeah, not now, not quite a fortress as it turns out. It seems that Thamor uh, is mostly a village full of fun, cute fawn people having a cool party. Yes, um, a party, by the way, not something typically done in the fright zone to the point that Adora, Adora. is not even familiar with the word. Dora doesn't know what a party is. She doesn't know what a birthday is. Bo is um, so sad about it. He's heartbroken. He is like destroyed. She, he's like, we, she absolutely has to party right now. We can't just go back to Brightmoon. Uh, but of course, before she can go and mingle, uh, we have to hide all of the horde icons on her outfit. Yes. Gotta lose the jacket. Gotta lose the jacket. Gotta, gotta cover gotta... up the gigantic horde symbol on the back of her uh, of her little like her little suit thing it's like a compression top yeah yeah Um, kind of like a like an under armor situation yeah hordak has branded on branded under armor yeah he's really managed to 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 sink that deal yeah got that got that sick sponsorship in so they uh so they give her a poncho to cover up the 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 horde symbol and they then Bo gives her a flower to put in her hair to really tie the whole outfit together and to into his credit, it does tie it together. Really matches the nice red of her boots. It's true. So they go out and they have a party. Adora is just this is the best day of her life. She's eating all sorts of weird stuff. She's she's dancing. She's listening to people tell stories. She's hitting weird pinatas. Then, then she she sees. A majestic creature in the distance. Um, a creature she's never seen before. Something so majestic, so beautiful. so beautiful that she can't help but have her breath taken away. And we are, of course, referring to the the most a majestic horse. of nature's creatures. It's a horse. It's a horse. It's a horse. It's a horse. It is a horse. It is a horse. Um, never seen the horse. A horse before. She's she's she is awestruck. Absolutely, absolutely uh, flabbergasted by this horse. She's nervous. She doesn't want to go up and talk to the horse, but Bo can convince her to go over there and introduce her to the horse. And this is this is she says this is the best day of her life. Adora revealing herself to be a horse girl, which I suppose we all probably could have seen coming. 
it's fine. Um, uh, all throughout this this uh, section here, Glimmer has been very clearly struggling to not be charmed by Adora's charms. Yes, it's to be fair, it's kind of hard. She's uh, she's a very charming person. It's very hard. You might even say that she is, in fact, quite adorable. Mm, you could say that. You could. Um, but this party is somewhat cut short by a series of explosions. Ah, uh, you know. Here. Uh, I always hate when that happens, just having a good time and a bunch of explosions happen. They work fast. Uh, a bunch of huts are already destroyed, and somebody has like already tagged the wall with the horde symbol. Oh yeah, you know the the tagging uh, battalion. That's like their whole job. They just come in um, after everybody else, tag everything up. It's it's really important that you keep your brand identity like in the minds of the people, you know, so they so they know, um, so they know uh, where to buy all your good products, like your Under Armour. Branding is very important. For an evil empire. So, Adora says, alright, I have to go stop this. I'm part of the Horde. They'll listen to me. I can get them to call this off. Obviously, this is some sort of horrible misunderstanding. This is not... This is not, like, a rebel fortress. Something has gone wrong here. And so she she ditches the poncho and runs off. Um, she finds a tank blasting some stuff up. And she... she, she it puts itself in front of it, tells it to stop, and out of it pops a very Catra. Yeah, a nice, uh, familiar face, and she is pretty excited to see Adora. So excited that she is purring. Yes. Uh, is she is she purring because she's seeing Adora? Is she purring because she got to drive a tank and blow shit up? Uh, who I knows? think a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. <laughs> I mean, I would certainly be purring if I got to drive a tank and blow stuff up. Seems like it might be fun. But, uh, of course, this is not so much of a, of a, of a joyful reunion. Adora's like, we have to, we can't do this. This is, this is wrong. What yeah. we're doing here is wrong. Yeah, every, we've been, we've been manipulated. We've been lied to. You know, they, they're, they're telling us all this stuff. And Catra says, yeah, bro, what do you mean? Yeah, like, uh, no, <laughs> yeah, Catra's very much like, yeah, obviously, like, did you did you think that we were the good guys? You know, like D- Shadow Weaver's whole deal is manipulation. She's been playing with our mind with our minds since we were kids. What do you mean? Yeah, it's uh, Adora is not necessarily the fastest one on the uptake very trusting person she is very trusting catra on the other hand she's seen a true face of the horse she's seen shadow weaver's she's she's taken the brunt of shadow weaver's aggression it seems yeah you while would, she has doted on adora yeah you would you would even maybe say that adora's been kind of insulated from a lot of the worst aspects of the horde um probably by shadow weaver that's nothing. Um, yeah, I'm so sure it's nothing. Adora tries to convince Catra, like, you know, we, we can fix this. She tells her we can fix this if you just come with me. Um, Catra takes a moment. She she seems hurt by this. She's like, I can't believe you, you spent, like, two hours with these Rebellion guys, and you're already deserting? Like, you're already abandoning me for these, like, these clowns? Um... 
And when Adora turns to leave, she uh, Catra tases her with a stun baton thing uh, to stop her. Yes. Uh, to be fair, it looks pretty brutal, but she didn't know how uh, how uh, stunny the stun gun was. Yeah, she was. She uh, she was immediately regretful of it. She's like, "Oh, I, I did not mean for that to happen." Um, Glimmer and Bo are, are, are focusing on getting everyone out of the village, and they seem to be accomplishing that, but Adora is still in there. And so they decide they're going to uh, take this horse, this this majestic, beautiful horse, and ride into battle as, as Glimmer's powers are kind of running low here. Yeah, kind of, uh, kind of running on empty a little bit. Um, and and as as Catra is trying to uh, drag Adora back to this tank, Bo and Glimmer show up, get her off, uh, get Catra off of her, and t- uh, Glimmer teleports Adora away, and uh, Catra just tackles Bo to the ground. Catra, it seems, is stronger than her frame might let on. No, very very strong character right here. Uh, yeah, she. Uh... She's got a. She's got quite a. Uh, quite a, a leap. That's for quite sure. a leap. Quite a leap. So Glimmer and Adora have have a talk, and, and Glimmer says, "All right, I'm going to give you the sword. I don't know if I can trust you. I'm sorry for being such a jerk this whole time, but like we need we need Shira here." Yeah. And so Adora takes a hold of the sword and, and speaks the words of power for the honor of Grayskull, and we get our first She-Ra transformation sequence. And this is where one of the most important uh, aspects of this show comes in, because Noel Stevenson did not just grow up watching She-Ra. No, no, she, no, no, no. she grew up watching several things, um, one of which one of them is, is uh, a Sailor bunch Moon. of magical girl anime, yeah. Yeah. Sailor Moon. And this transformation sequence is fantastic. Oh yeah, like easily up there with like some of the some of the best classic magical magical girl transformations. And it's like it's got actually quite a lot of uh, motifs that it borrows from from various different sources. This one is definitely you definitely feel the Sailor Moon vibes for this one. The like the whole body glowing in silhouette. I love how. She just sort of like grows a few feet taller. Like yeah. they just like she the the Shira just grabs her in the like Photoshop thing and just like, pulls <laughs> just her up a little bit. Stretches her a little bit. There's a little bit of a funny transform. And just like listen, listen. Shira Shira needs to be tall. It's really important. It's very important that she's like seven feet tall and very ripped. Oh yeah, the being important. being absolutely shredded is like a very critical part of being Shira. Also, um, actually, that that leads into one of my favorite little like just tiny moments in the transformation sequence, where at the very end she has these like uh, I don't know what you would call them. I guess like glaives. They're like these metal things right over her um, like her forearms her bracers bracers right and she like punches her her hands together oh yeah to, to activate them and it's really really good and it's like at that moment also she's like flexing like it's it's a really yeah. good little moment it's a great sequence um you might you might recognize that track is that that is our intro music um but now she is here and she is uh quite majestic 
And it seems like, or in these two episodes at least, it seems like She-Ra is like basically taking control of Adora. She-Ra is a different person. Yeah, she seems to like she got she gets this kind of like really strong pronounced glow with like these little like motes of magic floating around her and she just kind of gets this very like vacant look on her face as she yeah. you know goes around and does her thing taking out the rest of these troops and whatever. Yeah, which we see Bo Bo is, is on the back foot here. Catcher's really giving it to him. The rest of the horde tanks are surrounding him, and then Shira just kind of like walks in there, like she doesn't, she's in no hurry. She just walks in there and just busts up the ground with her sword with a big old magical burst. Yeah, does a does a good AOE attack, <laughs> um, knocking everyone out. She just she just makes quick work of all these horde dudes. Blows up a tank, cuts some robots in half, all that good stuff. Yeah, the, you love to see it, folks. And of course, the horde soldiers. After all of that, they have no choice but to scream and run away because they are very smart. Yes, they are. These are some very intelligent henchmen. They are not they willing are not, to die for Hordak, and they are uh, not here <laughs> to fight giant glowing women with huge swords. They were here to beat up some fawns. Yeah, this is this is not part of their job description. So they flee. Um, Katra does not flee with them. We see her retreat into the smoke, looking very hurt by all of this. By her, Looking very hurt by Adora's betrayal. Yeah, like, she is, you know, um, Adora actually has a moment where she actually comes down from, like, the the, uh, the She-Ra power trip that she was having, and she um, sees Katra through that smoke, and she, like, kind of gives her this gaze this uh this very longing gaze of like you know you don't you don't have to leave and then but catcher of course she feels pretty betrayed by all of this and i think reasonably so all things considered she adora has been her closest friend her entire life and then like she gets captured for two hours by by these rebellion chuckleheads, and it turns out she's like a giant ancient warrior princess. Like, and then she just leaves. She just leaves the horde. You, you, you had all this planned out. You were gonna stick with the horde until you, you and Adora could make it out on top. Get rid of Horak. Get rid of Shadowweaver. Get rid of all these clowns who don't know what they're doing. You and Adora, you know what you're doing. Exactly, and and Adora just again in like the course of a couple hours just turns her back on all of that and you know i think you know that's gonna that's gonna sting a little bit it's gonna take a second for uh for catra to uh to move past that one yeah she'll get over it um so she comes down from she-ra she she turns back into adora and just like collapses uh, and then has a brief freak out about how she just betrayed the horde and has nowhere left to go. Yeah, it's actually a really good moment where she's just like, "Ah, oh, yeah, I just, I can't believe I did that. I uh, turned oh, against God, the I horde. I did that. Oh God, I can't believe I did that. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's a really actually once again voice acting spectacular. Like you, you really get the the spectrum of emotions and situations that are running through a door's head at about 4 billion miles per hour at that exact moment. Yeah, but Glimmer offers her her hand and says, we, listen, we can, we can go to Bright Moon, we can figure all this out. You're, you're welcome with us. Don't worry. 
you have a home. And so Glimmer, Adora, Bo, and this random horse. That um, they definitely didn't steal. I mean, listen, if someone wants to come looking for the horse, they can come looking for the horse. Otherwise, it's their horse. I mean, that's how it works. It's finders keepers rules. They, they, all, they will all walk off into the sunset together towards a new beginning. And that is the end of The Sword Part 2. That is the uh, series premiere of She-Ra in the bag. A lot of things are being set up. Of course, there's not a lot of plot movement. This is all just initial stuff. Initial but, stuff, a little bit of exposition, a little bit of character work, but... If there are foundations laid here in this episode that will continue to have ramifications throughout the whole show characters who are established here are not only going to be very consistent from here on out you will also really get to dig into a lot of them yes absolutely in fact we're gonna kind of get uh we're, we're gonna get quite a lot of uh character development here in the coming episodes yes but for now those of you who are staying outside of the uh the spoiler zone this will be where the episode ends for you. Yes. Eventually, I will have like a Twitter account set up and a Gmail account set up for questions and stuff, but I don't have that set up right now. In the future, I will. And that will usually go here before the spoiler zone. But, uh, since I don't have that, for now, I think we should go ahead and get into it. Yes, time time to really, really dig deep in the, uh, in the spoiler uh, seclusion zone. Those of you who will not be joining us, we'll see you next time. Those of us who are, we'll see you on the other side here. Yes, have a good one. lot to talk about here in the spoiler zone welcome to the spoiler zone so first things first very important first step catra and adora catra and adora obviously this whole series is building up to that right all of this their their relationship is kind of the center of this whole thing it's the axis on which it turns yes as it should be and boy what an axis it is it's already so strong um I, Even like, when I, I for... first, go ahead. Uh, I was gonna say, like, I I forgot how how strong the setup is in the first episode. Like, they really they really just come right out the friggin' gate with it. Yeah, I remember watching this for the first time, and I was immediately struck. But I was like, okay, this is okay. Wow, this is a, this is a lot. This is this is a lot here. This oh is yeah, a lot you're hitting me with, Ms. Stevenson. <laughs> uh Miss Stevenson really, uh, really bringing it, bringing it home, bringing the gold home for us. Yeah, it's um, and I mean, obviously, this relationship is going to have a lot of ups and downs, a lot of downs, a, lo- um, a lot more downs sure. and ups, but the ups are also very strong. Catra and Adora. The thing about Catra that I really find interesting in these early episodes is at the beginning of all this, when she still has Adora with her in the horde, she is content to like coast. She's content to just sort of 
She's really good at what she does, but she doesn't necessarily want to, like, surpass Adora yet. Yeah. Like, she just wants to get to the top with her. Yeah, it's kind um, of like, they, they, she wants to, she wants to kind of move at the exact same pace. Right, they want to, she wants to, she wants to be at the top with her as equals. But as soon as Adora leaves, it unlocks this, like, of course we know, like, Catra's abandonment issues are, like, very very deep-seated yes um and like she now has someone like i need to surpass adora i need to defeat adora i need to like prove that i don't need adora anymore and so that becomes her driving factor for like the rest of the show yeah it's it, it basically completely consumes every aspect of her and her personality and everything um and uh as it turns out that's a really bad decision and yeah, uh doesn't really work out for her she i want to talk a little bit about catcher's overall character arc because I, I i like the one thing i always say about her is that it's very important that the show always gives her the right path like it it, it opens the door for her it says all right this is where you can walk to choose the right thing this is where the, this is where you go to like be better and every single time, up until a certain point, she slams the door and walks away. Yes, I I love that. It's really good because it like it, it's. I think that they ran the risk really hard of making Katra into almost like a just a pure victim, right? Where right. she was being uh, controlled and coerced and manipulated into doing everything. Uh, that she did and that she was kind of guided in that direction by other people and that she wasn't really given the opportunity to grow as a person. And I think that had they not specifically gone out of their way to make sure that you, the dear viewer, know that Katra 100% had an out and didn't take it many, many times, I think that's, that's, that's really critical. It makes it so that Katra not only... Um, does she retain that very critical character agency? But like it also uh, really every single time it happens, it drives her deeper and deeper and deeper into this really horrible pit that she's digging for herself as fast as her little hands can dig. And uh, it's, you know, I think that that is something that... Um, if you don't handle it this very specific way, it's very easy to see it as like either her being like a completely, um, a complete monster or a complete victim, and not really get that in between spot that's really important. The in between spot is the most important because this show does. This show has a few redemption arcs. The main one is, of course, Catra's. There are a few others that are not necessarily as focused on or as clearly redemptive. I think we'll talk about Shadow Weaver here in a bit. Oh, yeah. Katra, a lot to say about her. So Catra, um, positioning her as the second lead of this show is important. Like, she is not necessarily the villain. She's the she's the main antagonist, but she is also the protagonist of her own storylines. And there is enough, for the most part, there is enough, like, sympathy... And, and goodwill that Catra holds, that you will always root for her even when she's doing, like, all this bad stuff. Yeah, yeah, um, it's it's really it's really refreshing to see, honestly. Like, I think one of the things that um, 
uh, Noel Stevenson like has talked about um, uh, on a few different occasions is that like a lot of people who write these sorts of shows are really scared of writing a female lead villain um, and even just female villains in general who are genuinely making bad decisions, who, who are genuinely doing things wrong, who have the personal agency to deliberately make those decisions, not just that they're forced into them. And I think that, like, you can you can really see where, uh, where she had a field day with Katra and she really, like, really dug into that really well. Oh, yeah. I feel like... You know, it's it's is the most easy comparison I think you can make to Catra in terms of like other animated female villains is Azula, right? Like, yeah, Azula and Catra are on the surface kind of similar, but Azula's arc gets hamstrung by the fact yeah. that Avatar only had three seasons, and so her arc ends at rock bottom, right? Yeah, she never actually has that moment where she has to acknowledge that she's at rock bottom and have her just agonizingly climb out of that pit you know like Which, like she just yeah. doesn't get that and you know it's 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 very disappointing it's really good to see catcher didn't fall into that same uh that same kind of problem zone right because catra like she does keep making worse and worse decisions and season four catra is just this like horrible death spiral of self-destruction until there's just she's destroyed everything in her life yeah scorpia has left her hordak hates her her only remaining friend is this person who doesn't really care about her as a person only is in it for the drama only is in it for the money only is in it for the fun and so she's just and then she gets dragged onto this alien ship with this completely new and dangerous presence that she has not equipped to deal with at all and it's just that that is where it all like this is where the arc like turns back around yeah it's and i think pretty critically one of the things um about um that end of her arc too is um two two really critical things happen right at the end that really turn her around maybe arguably no i would say it's two things so uh thing number one of course is uh double trouble absolutely eviscerating her just completely laying it out on the table and being like listen you know you think you're the big bad villain you're not you're just scared and alone and you're hurting everyone around you and you're just in a giant spiral of self-destruction uh that's why everyone loves leaves you like yeah it's it's like yeah you have ruined your own life right so that's step one is her basically having her ego murdered right in front of her uh followed up by that's of course followed up by uh then once she actually gets onto um horde prime's flagship is um her finding a situation superficially similar to the one she was in with hordak um that she tries to kind of slot in in the same way that she did there trying to prove that she's got a use that she's trying to manipulate him she's trying to kind of serve her own interests and she is just immediately shut down because this is a this is a character who is infinitely more competent than hordak could ever possibly hope to be 
and yeah, uh, he is uh, he is not someone you can manipulate he is ancient he has been at this for a very long time this like she's not going to get anywhere with him like that and she's she tries to convince herself like oh the horde is the horde even in space it's all the same and it becomes increasingly clear that no it's not the same at all hordak no. hordak's horde is like a a weak echo of his brother's massive empire yeah like hordak's horde is mostly just a bunch of recruits and like people that he's pulled from around um etheria and like these are actual like individuals and people they have thoughts and feelings and emotions hordak's situation uh is not very similar to uh mr prime over here because absolutely every single person that we see who is a soldier in the prime horde is just a clone there's no you know there's nothing else you have bots and you have clones there's no like i'm reticent to say like there's no human element but like there's no human element you know there's like he doesn't recruit from outside of his own genetic material he just makes clones and builds robots yeah that's like that's 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 all he does and it like because he's obsessed with peace through complete and total control. That peace is what he through wants. assimilation, I think, is yeah. a really important thing. It's like there's there's some very interesting stuff going on, I think, with the theming there. Because um, Shira is a vehemently anti-imperialist piece of media, which is uh, quite nice, um, but like very specifically i think they try to address these different kinds of imperialism through these sort of empires right like you have i wanted i actually wanted to draw some things here so there's one aspect of the horde that is brought up in this episode that isn't necessarily always focused on um and that's the environmental impact they're having on etheria yes like and it's it's not necessarily it's when i say it's not focused on it's not focused on in dialogue they never they don't talk all the time about how the horde is polluting the planet it it is represented very visually when it comes to that yes like the destruction and the 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 tech, the industrialization of etheria that the horde brings is always represented visually but in this episode uh glimmer specifically calls out that they are poisoning the planet they are building these machines Yes. Um, but this is, of course, not the first time this has happened to Etheria at all. As we learn later in the show, the first ones are not necessarily the benevolent forerunners that they seem to be. The first ones were, I mean, they're, they're, they were just as much of an empire as, as, the, as the Horde or Horde Prime are. They, they came here, they built their technology, and they started um, manipulating and... You know, re rebuilding the planet for their own gain, and eventually turned it into a, a horrible weapon. And like, all three of these uh, empires are like defined by their technology. Of course, we've talked in, in the main episode, part of the episode, we talked about the Horde's very industrial look. This is like, you know, it, it, the Horde is the industrial revolution, uh, just sort of steamrolling its way through Etheria, or t- att- attempting to, I should say. Yeah. The first one's ruins are all very old. They evoke, like, empires of the past. They evoke, like, the ancients who came before. Yeah, there's, like, a very, like, regal, like, 
old empire feeling to it. Like the these these people once ruled everything, but they are long gone. And then there is the Galactic Horde, the Prime Horde, which, uh, interestingly enough, uh, as of this day of recording, Noel Stevenson was on Twitter talking about some of the influences of Horde Prime and the Galactic Horde. And one thing she brought up in relation to both the visual design of the Horde stuff and the uh, character of Horde Prime is the proliferation of mega churches and like modern evangelical Christianity. Uh, specifically, she was talking about how she wanted Horde Prime's flagship to evoke that feeling of modern church architecture, of something that is like meant to be a, a piece of architecture that is like about community and understanding and coming together, but has been twisted into something. Uh, like a vehicle of oppression and of pain. And that is very much what the Galactic Horde is about. It's all about complete assimilation, which they have almost they've almost done, really. Like, they're by the time they are introduced, they're basically in control of the whole galaxy. Yeah, it's like, I think even beyond the galaxy, I think specifically Horprim actually talks about, like, going to other galaxies. Like, he, yeah, he's the, right, he basically he owns everything. Of the known universe. So it's very interesting the way that these three Imperial forces are all very different. And I think the one that ends up being the most humanized is Hordax Horde, due to the fact that they're the ones we spend the most time with, and that they're the ones that are, like, made up of people. Yeah. And speaking of people in the Horde, let's talk about Shadow Weaver. Shadow Weaver. What a character. Like, Shadow she's Weaver. got such a strong setup in, in, in the sword, actually. Yeah. Like the the she does not have a lot of screen time actually. She like if you went back and counted, I think she probably only has like maybe two or three minutes of screen time in the whole two parter. Yeah, she's got like four lines or something. Yeah, but it's like it's a very strong intro. You get a really crystal clear picture of exactly who she is, what she's about, her like consistent manipulation, her like living vicariously through uh her her child adora this like the the theming is is top notch and you know it's you know it, it there's a lot of parallels to a lot of uh a lot of really um you know there's a lot of parallels to to, to real life stuff there it's 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 a very powerful character yeah, it is. You need to be so careful with a character like that who draws on so much real life stuff, who draws on so many like real life abuse dynamics to yeah. uh, inform so much of her stuff. And I think they once again they balance the razor's edge by that. Yeah, Shadow Weaver is a bad person. Shadow Weaver has done nothing but like hurt people her entire life basically. But they also make her a compelling character and a very human character at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Like they give her uh they give her a very compelling arc. Like she does start out as like this, you know, maternal, like abusive, manipulative, like a very controlling person, but like as soon as she is kind of revealed to be in her own like manipulated controlled environment 
you know, suddenly a lot of other stuff is starting to make sense. And it's never, and I think, again, with what, what you were saying with, like, it's very, you have to be very careful. I think it'd be very easy to take a massive misstep um, into the chasm of justifying the things that that she's done to other people you know like well you know she has her own past and that makes this you know maybe not okay but understandable but they never fall into that like i never felt like shadow weaver's actions were ever being uh excused or or made uh lighter um not even during the uh closer to the end of season four in which um her and glimmer are kind of interacting and glimmer is like herself making light of the things shadow weaver has done um but that's like shown to be very explicitly wrong both of her to do and also factually incorrect because shadow weaver is currently manipulating glimmer at that exact moment so it's Right, it's like really well handled. The thing about Glimmer in season four is that sh- her interactions with Shadow Weaver in the past were either entirely through Adora's words or that one time Shadow Weaver like kidnapped and tortured her. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like that's it. And weirdly enough, that interaction with Shadow Weaver, that's not the worst she can do at all. Like, no, yeah, it was actually quite tame considering the other things that we've actually seen her her do. Even actually. Um, in the very first episode with Katra, she will just yeah. very casually bust out more or less essentially the same treatment that she gives uh, Glimmer later in the show, like the sort of electrical paralyzing attack that seems pretty painful. Um, she'll just casually unleash that on um, on Katra whenever she feels like it, as opposed to you know glimmer she's a prisoner of war she's very specifically only being given that treatment when she's not being cooperative right and and so yeah the the show never justifies what shadow weaver is doing even when shadow weaver is right even when shadow weaver is working on the side of the good guys she's never She's never absolved of anything at all, especially not by Adora, and especially not by Catra. Even her heroic death, like, you could even see that as, like, one more sort of manipulation to ensure that, like, Shadow Weaver wants to be the best sorcerer on the planet. Yes. She wants to be the most powerful sorcerer Etheria has ever seen. And, like... I don't think there was any way she was going to get out of this show alive, right? No, yeah. Like, there's, she, her, Catra, and Adora, you cannot have the three of them uh, at the end all alive, right? Someone has to go. Yeah, three is a crowd, as they say. Shadow Weaver takes it upon herself to, like, sacrifice herself and save both of them. And, like, it, it, once again, it doesn't absolve her of anything. It doesn't necessarily even mean that she's fully redeemed but like it's 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 if if you look at it in the way that shadow weaver this was just one more last manipulation to make sure that catra and adora like still remember her somewhat fondly there's there's still some sort of untouchable quality to shadow weaver where she the only reason they were able to save the world is because she bought them time yeah 
That is one way you could definitely look at that last moment. The other way you could look at it is that Shadow Weaver does, in the end, I think, realize maybe there's all that she's done, all that she's, like, wrought upon these two. Uh, even in that season, even, like, just so very recently, she's still hurting Adora and Catra by, like, sowing the seeds of doubt in Adora's mind. Like, oh, she's confusing you. She's distracting you. you she's preventing you from becoming She-Ra. You have to cut ties. You have to let her go. Yeah. Like, she's still doing like, it. Like, she's still doing it. Even when Shadow Weaver cannot turn it off. She can't turn off who she is fundamentally as a person. She is someone who... In a lot of ways, she's a very interesting foil and mirror to uh, Katra because she is exactly what Katra could become if she doesn't change course. Like someone who their entire sense of self, their entire personality, the entire way they interact with the world is entirely based on manipulation and subterfuge, you know, to the point that, you know, Literally, she is always wearing a mask. You know, literally yeah. always wearing a mask. It's like, again, really good visual design, I think. Even when she is light spinner and she has no need to wear a full mask, she's still wearing a... Her, her whole face is still not visible. She's still wearing this veil thing Yeah. over the like bottom half of her face. And the only time she ever fully removes the mask is at the very end. Exactly. Like at the very, literally the last moment of her life, she takes off the mask and she is being, maybe for the first time in a very, very long time, being completely genuine no there's not there is no like there's no manipulation that's happening she is not trying to get ahead she is sacrificing herself and she is revealing herself um to to the cast and audience as who she really is um for the first and last time and it is a it is right. a really interesting parallel i think yeah i think we should end this episode by really we we should focus back in on Catra and Adora because yes. like specifically at the end there are motifs about their relationship visually through dialogue through just like actions yeah the the um, setup there is some hand holding in this episode yes there's hand holding there's the line setups are really good um like the first Heyadora cl classic really good i gotta love that line the um it's yeah it's very it's very like ain't i a stinker it's very mischievous it's very flirty it's There's very no, like, flirty like really flirty she's you know <sighs> listen adora adora she's... is the is the like textbook textbook oblivious lesbian she just has no oh, idea no clue like she clue. could literally Catra could walk into the room with a shirt that says i love you adora and she wouldn't she wouldn't even think about it oh hey, nice shirt where'd you get that <laughs> wow i didn't know yeah, i had a fan um, club uh, yeah so yeah it's definitely like and 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 it's so interesting early on there are like they they do put so many of these like obstacles. They put so many things that have to be overcome for them to get to this point, right? 
And one of them is like Catra does ha- harbor some like jealousy and 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 trauma over the fact that Shadow Weaver always chose Adora over her. Yeah, and she was always the 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 punching bag. She was always the like the one who was never good enough. And like Shadow Weaver is literally just a visual reminder of that when when she is uh, when she and Catra are like finally reunited back uh, at the end of uh, season five yeah i just spending a long time apart yeah it's like it's her presence in season five actually like her and katra kind of interacting for the first time um basically since um shadow weaver betrayed her um when she was uh escaping the horde prison actually um that is such a like heartbreak like that is one of that is one of the most egregious things shadow weaver does i think because oh yeah for sure it is the most brutal manipulation she she thinks catra thinks shadow weaver is finally opening up finally she's getting somewhere maybe they can maybe now that adora is gone she and shadow weaver can finally make this connection that she's wanted for so long and then she just leaves she just up and leaves. Yeah, she just bails on her. And not even just leaves, but like... Defects. V- not, not just leaves, not just defects, but like very specifically does it in such a seeks way... Seeks out Adora. Like, she, she seeks out Adora, but she's like specifically doing all of this in a way that like is implicitly manipulating Katra's emotional state to do it. Like, making yes. Katra feel loved and appreciated and cared for by this maternal figure in her life and then she just reveals all of it to have been a complete lie or at least a lie insofar as how you know what she was trying to accomplish i think i think especially the last time we see her reveals that uh shadow weaver does have a lot of care in her heart i think katra but yeah, I think that conversation they have in the cell, there is some truth to it, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's 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 a little bit ambiguous to whether or not she was telling the truth at all. It's like, oh, you just, you just remind me so much of myself, all of the stuff like that. And, like, it, it does seem to be true. It doesn't excuse anything at all, but that does seem to be the, like, the thing, the reason. And But even then, like, she just leaves. Yeah. She chooses Adora, and that, that... When Catra realizes that not only did Shadow Weaver leave, but she joined the rebellion. She chose Adora again. That just yeah. knocks her down three more pegs. It just brings her that much closer to being the like, to pulling the lever on the portal, to doing all of this stuff that she does. Yeah, it like it's super. It it re- it really messes her up. And like you said, yeah, it's it is exactly that. Like in Catcher's mind, once again, this is Shadow Weaver proving that everyone everyone once loves loves adora and hates her that they that they are always going to choose adora over her no matter what no matter how no matter what is in the way of that no matter how hard it hurts katra it doesn't matter they're always going to choose adora and that's how she looks at it and of course once again, this is just another just massive excavation into that deep depression pit that she finds herself in. And of course, all of this is so further complicated by the fact that, yeah, she does love Adora. 
Yes. It's... She says, I've always loved you. And, like, that's that's some hard shit to deal with when you don't know what you're dealing with at all. Like, you're just... It's all just a horrible tangled web that she's trying to unravel and just thrashing about and destroying everything yes. while she's trying to do something. And she is uh, not exactly in touch with her emotions. She is uh, She is the kind of person who is going to scream and yell and throw some boxes around anything and everything possible to distract or move the topic of conversation or reflection away from her own emotions because she cannot handle it she's you know she's like this she's she's a paper tiger in a lot of ways she is a big blowhard and she builds herself up as this big bad and as you know the person who is all all ambition all grit all for like this this all-consuming goal of winning but you know it's all just basically plaster and sadness it's like none of it is real it's all just trying to cover up the gigantic gaping hole in her inner chest yep yeah you, you hit it on the head i think that should be good for the spoiler zone for now because there will be a lot more Catra, a lot more Shadow Weaver, and most importantly, a lot more Adora. We need to dig in to Adora at some point. Oh, yeah. Right now, she is, you know, she, she hasn't really shown her, like, what her flaws are because she is not perfect. She is definitely, like, there are things about her that she needs to overcome as well, and a lot of Season 5 is about that. Like, if season four is about bringing Catra to her lowest moment, season five is about bringing Adora to her lowest moment. Yes, I would I would definitely agree with that. Like, it's... Um, Adora's arc is actually really interesting, and I would love to really dig deep into that and start kind of examining, like, how, how she kind of goes through her own, like, depression pit. Yeah, I think once, once we get into the Mara stuff and the Light Hope stuff, oh, yeah. we will be able to discuss that a lot more. But we are already almost two hours in on this first <laughs> yeah, episode. Yeah, hour forty-eight minutes. Quite a quite an episode. You were afraid we wouldn't have much to talk about at this two-parter, but uh, it seems as though there was never any danger. Of no, that. we uh, listen. It's a good show. Got a lot to talk about and a lot it's... to explore. And you might think, oh, well, well, they've already exhausted all of their topics in the first episode. Oh, no. Uh -uh. We, no. We got, there's like a whole Google document just from this, for this episode of all the points. We got through like four of them. There are so many character arcs in this show, so much thematic work yet to be done. And I mean, we're, we're just getting started here. Season one has, has some rip-roaring bangers in it for sure. Oh, yeah. I cannot wait to rewatch princess prom i cannot wait to rewatch the illusion castle there's oh, so princess many princess prom is so strong oh i can't wait princess prom is very good but of course that'll have to wait until later for now this has been uh the podcast of power a she-ra companion podcast uh our our logo was designed by uh at blind prophet find us i actually don't know where you can find us on twitter yet i haven't made it yet but i will eventually <laughs> don't worry it's, it's in the um, works <laughs> it's in the works it's all in the works don't you worry we're, we're building this this podcast out of uh, out of thread and, and and loose leaves but eventually it will grow into a mighty fortress of of deep thought yes exactly 
Uh, the, the main, the center of it all, the heart of this podcast, the, the beating heart of the planet is that show's pretty good. Yeah, show's pretty, pretty good. So until next time, my friends, I have been Nero. And I've been Jane. And we'll see you next time. Catch you later. <laughs>